Welcome to the Calvary Church Podcast. We're glad that you are here and that you can be a part of a recent service at TCC. So let's join the service, which is already underway, and listen to the message. We're going to um, go into part two of a series that Pastor Tom teed off last week and uh, handed it over to me, and I'm not sure what he was thinking, but, but I am submitted, and the Lord will help me. Um, but we are talking about relationships and the cross, and again, just putting that into our hearts and our uh, awareness spiritually that everything in our lives should be put in view of the cross and what Jesus did for us, what he made available to us and to our families, our everyday lives. But I got to admit to you, talking about family is a daunting assignment, and that's why Tom Ellis gave it to me, because he is scurred, and so am I. But there are few subjects that are as complicated and emotional as the subject of family relationships, but the Bible gives us instruction. The Bible is here to help us and to empower us. When Jesus said, you will receive power after that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you, he wasn't just talking about power in a church service or power to just lay your hands on the sick. It is power to live our lives in a way that pleases him. And we need that in our families, don't we? And so families have been under attack since the Garden of Eden. The first family of the human race was directly impacted by the consequences of sin. Sin not only brought shame to the first couple, Adam and Eve, it also completely altered their existence from the ideal of God's plan for them. Sin changed everything. And not only was physical pain and labor introduced to their human experience, but trauma and suffering resulted from the murder of one son by the other son. And we as families have been struggling ever since. I remember feeling the weightiness of what it meant to be a parent really for the first time. Tom was wheeling me out of Riverside Methodist Hospital in Columbus, Ohio. And I had Emma in my arms. And I had this sinking feeling of, my God, they're sending us home with this baby. These medical professionals, what are you thinking? This is child endangerment. We don't know what we're doing. I was ready to just have this breakdown. And so my parents stayed with us that first week. And it was glorious because I got spoiled. And my mom, like, did everything. And then she left. And I remember when I went to say goodbye to her, because, of course, I lived in Columbus at the time, and they were coming to Cincinnati, and I just said, Mom, I can't do this without you. And she was crying, too, and she said, You'll be fine. You can do this. And so in my desperation, I wanted help. I knew I needed help. And so I read books and, and parenting magazine articles. And I listened to everybody's wisdom that they're so willing to give to you when you have a new baby. And, and I went to the word of God. There is a master plan in here. 
there is an ideal family and I'm going to find them. And I am going to pay the price to be just like them because I want my family to be awesome. And I started reading the Bible with that goal of, okay, where are they? Where are those awesome families? And I was horrified to realize (laughs) that there are not very many families that you and I would point to and say, I want to be like them. Au contraire. (laughs) Please understand, I am not discrediting the Bible. I'm simply being honest with you tonight. That whatever your family dynamic is, you can look to Scripture and find something in it that says, well, we have troubles, but it's not quite like that. So... Thank God. From the patriarchs to the man after God's own heart, the Bible doesn't hide the fact that even God's people struggle to lead their families in righteousness. And so be at peace tonight as we approach this subject together. Every family has some element of dysfunction. Just look at the Bible. Look at Abraham's family, God's friend. What a mess! Jealousy, deception, people conspiring, favoritism. King David's family is so messed up. I get uncomfortable just trying to think about talking to you about what happened in his family. And yet, we understand the importance of family in God's master plan for the earth. He created a family first. He began with uniting two people and making them one. The truth is God made a family before he created his church. And I believe God's desire is for his church to not just be a family in and of itself. But I believe God's desire is for the church to be made up of families. And so I want to look to the word of God, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 9. Verses that you're familiar with. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house. And when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. God's word is to be at the center of our families and our daily routines. And I want to begin by acknowledging that I'm not claiming to be an expert by any means. I have not been formally trained or educated to be a family counselor. I'm sorry, Dr. Phil is not here. And I also realize that not everyone here tonight is married or has children living at home. And so as I studied and prepared for this lesson, I felt to use four biblical principles that can apply to all of us wherever we are in the family structure. Because I believe that all of us have room in our lives to grow in this area. Relationships are hard work, aren't they? And that's why they're so messed up, because nobody wants to deal with it. Nobody has the time or the emotional energy. According to the authors of the book we're using in this series, Real Relationships, Dr. Les and Leslie Perot say, there are no shortcuts to personal growth and wholeness. 
Man, no shortcuts. And if you don't feel like you have room or need to grow in your family relationships, then just ask your family if you do. And I would guess that they could help you figure out what it is that you could work on. And so if we have any desire to have good, healthy relationships, we have to be intentional about it. We have to work at it. Intentional is the new buzzword around here at TCC, and I love it. Because God blessed us with an incredible leader who exemplified how to live your life intentionally, especially when it comes to our families. However, we have to acknowledge that our human efforts are insufficient. We are one bad night of sleep, one mood, one text, one series of unfortunate events away from negatively impacting those closest to us, our family. I remember as a quizzer feeling very close to my teammates. And um, we spent hours together at practices, on the road, and, you know, you just felt like we're, we're a family. This is awesome. And I like you better than my family, so this is, our, this is great. And, and Bishop Dad, our coach, would always say if we were going on a long trip, now you may feel like family, but for heaven's sake, don't treat each other like family. Because the truth of the matter is, with our family, we let our guard down, and we're more ourselves. We don't put our best foot forward. We hurt the ones we love because we just know that they're stuck with us. We're not worried about getting them to like us. And humanity is fragile. It's flawed. It's weak. And Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he said, The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Jesus was acknowledging the disciples wanted to stay up and pray with me. They wanted to, but their flesh was weak. Paul put it this way in Romans chapter 7, verse 19, and I'm just going to paraphrase. I want to do good, but what I don't want to do is what I keep on doing. Have you ever felt that way about your family dynamic? I mean, man, I, I have good ideas, I have good intentions, but when it comes down to it, what I don't want to be and to do I don't want to yell, but I keep yelling. At least that's where I'm at. Because nobody listens unless I yell. And now I know why my dad always yelled. Um, but anyways, God, I want to be patient. I want to understand my family better. I want to uh, be able to not let their crazy infect me and affect my day. But the truth is, it is an intense struggle sometimes. William uh, Doherty said, whoever said that death and taxes are the only inevitable things in life was overlooking one obvious third, family. Sorry, people, you can't get away from it. Because the truth is nobody can hurt you like your family. The closeness that you share with them gives them great power and influence in your life, whether you want it to be that way or not. And so briefly, I want to share with you some great insights that Drs. Perot give concerning this in the book Real Relationships. They say, our family sets the pattern for all other relationships. So let's look into that for just a little bit. 
The family unit we were raised in serves as a classroom where we learn skills and knowledge that one day enable us to live outside of it. Our homes are the environment in which we learn how to interact with others. For most of us, there's good news and there's bad news right here. The point that I'm making is I'm not trying to assign blame or even praise, but to help give some context to who we are as individuals, even within our families. And so this fact can be comforting, it can be alarming, it can be both. And whether or not you and I agree with the way that we, raised, we were raised, whether or not we like it, the undeniable truth is this, family relationships have left a powerful imprint on your life from the day you were born. And so throughout our lives, we're taught deep lessons, whether we realize it or not. And how we are treated and trained as children and in our growing up years creates our own unique perspective on people and life in general. I'm going to give you a lighthearted example of this. Full disclosure. Coordination has never been my thing. Athleticism has never been my thing. And I inherited that from my Holy Father. And if he were here, he would say, hey. But I remember vividly as a child, and I will not tell you how old I was, when he said, Chris, it's time to learn to ride a bike. He meant take the training wheels off. And the reason why he brought it up was because I was not asking him to do that. Okay, read between the lines here. I did not want to do it. And so let's just say things did not go well for me at 6613 San Mateo Drive. I splattered myself all over the neighbor's driveway. They had a nice, long, flat driveway. And my dad, the eternal optimist, said, this is great. It's flat, and we can just go and go till you get it. It was real long. And I'm thinking, yeah, right. So I really struggled, and there were tears, and there was blood, and I quit. And that was a problem because Pasley's never quit. Um, But I quit that day. And so my dad had the brilliant idea that he would put one training wheel back on. Yeah. Process it. Think about it. He put it back on. And so the idea was that I would learn to balance one wheel at a time. And so I went with it because I knew he wasn't going to leave me alone about it. I had, it was do or die. I had to do this. So I I do this and, you know, I, I had some success. I got a little bit of confidence. Okay, I can do this. And then he took off the wheel. And you know what happened? Eileen. Eileen, the direction of that wheel, because that's what I had been practicing all along. But the problem was I didn't know I was leaning. So he's yelling, you're leaning to the right. You know, no, I'm not. As I fall over on my bike. And so more tears and, and more struggle and dad admonishing me and getting frustrated. And it was just not a magical experience for me. So then, so talking about how these experiences influence us in the way that we think. So then it's time for me to drive, and my dad's going to teach me how to drive. So I'm already nervous, and uh, it's just part of who I am. 
I've dealt with anxiety my whole life. And I remember we went to this parking lot near our old house um, by Skyline. And he got out the cones and he got out the sticks. And something just happened to me immediately. I'm going to fail. And so I did. I obliterated those cones time after time. And there were tears. And there was reassurance. And then there was an exhortation. And then there was yelling. And then I was yelling. And I'm never going to learn. Just leave me alone and I'll just walk. And, and then on the third time, the third try, I passed maneuverability. So thank you very much. And so that's just a very silly example of, of how these experiences kind of affect us, you know. And so quickly, I just want to go over three R's that every family teaches, every family we're a part of. We've learned three R's from our family. Are you ready? Number one is rules. Number two is roles. And number three is relationships. Rules. Family rules serve as unconscious guides for behavior. Now, I'm not talking about the rules of, you know, keep your hands to yourself, go to bed on time. I'm talking about rules that nobody ever really says. It's a code of behavior that you have to, you figure out. You figure out growing up in your family. And so they subconsciously influence the way that we think and who we are. And so to make it more clear to you what I'm talking about, these rules that your family has uh, some of us didn't realize we had them until we got married, and we realized that the person we married grew up under a different set of unspoken rules. And it's like, what do you mean you don't help out around the house? You know, or what do you mean you don't want to open up and share your feelings? What do, what do you mean you don't want to hash this out right here, just scream and yell? What do you mean? It's because these are unspoken rules that influence us. And so the point is this. Our awareness of how our family shaped us will help us make our relationships healthier. The second one is roles. Birth order and sibling dynamics are key factors in shaping our individual roles within our family. And according to my hero, Dr. Kevin Lehman, they profoundly influence who you are and how you relate to other people. Who we become growing up in our families often develops lifelong patterns of behavior that influence every relationship that you have, but especially your family relationships. I'm up here tonight because Tom Ellis is the baby of the family, and he is ornery, and he knows he can get away with stuff. And the firstborn in me wants to make it right and make him walk the line. But here I stand. <laughs> but knowing your role in your family and the roles of other family members that you have can empower you to understand your strengths and your weaknesses and consequently understand their strengths and their weaknesses. The Birth Order book by uh, Dr. Lehman is absolutely fascinating, and I think that anybody could benefit from it. From reading it, um, it would just help you understand the people you work with and the people around you. Um, and lastly, relationships. It's important to understand that the most powerful method our family has of teaching relationships is by example. Everyone in this room was raised in a home where ways of relating to other people were modeled. We absorbed ways of expressing our emotions, our opinions, and our own individuality. And we learn this not just through our own self-expression, 
But by the way, those that we lived with did these things. The way they expressed their emotions, the way they voiced their opinions, the way they expressed their own individuality. And I'm sure all of us have things we wish were different or maybe better. There are things we say we will never do when I'm a mom. I will never say that. And that's normal. But there are things we do. There's methods of training. There's even ways to have fun together as family that are a direct result of our family experience growing up. And so the point I'm trying to make is this. We have to realize the influence, the rules that we were raised under, the roles that we played as individuals in our families, and the relationships that we had or did not have, all of these things influence who we are and how we interact with our families. And so tonight, I just want to encourage you, before I instruct you, to reflect on where you come from what kind of family you grew up around, who you're trying to be right now in your family unit. And I also want you to consider the desire of your heart concerning your family because sometimes where we're at and what we really want in our hearts are very different. And so four things that we are instructed to do concerning our families according to the word of God. Number one, the Bible instructs us to love our families. Jesus said the Ten Commandments were summed up in these two. Love God, love your neighbor. And I'm here to tell you that includes your family. Love others. We celebrate that. That's the core of Christianity, right? But sometimes there's a disconnect with the people that you're related to people who share the same DNA, sometimes it's harder to love them. But we are called to love people regardless of their connection to us. 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 through 9, and then I'm going to skip to verses 20 and 21 of the same chapter. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, Because God is love. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him Whoever loves God must also love his brother, figuratively and literally. This includes our natural family. So we're called to love our families. Number two, the Bible tells us to care for our families, to take care of them. We see this concept in the New Testament stated very strongly, Um, specifically in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verses 3 through 4 and verse 8. I'm going to read to you. Honor widows who are truly widows, but if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show godliness to their own household. I want to read that phrase again. Let them first learn to show godliness to their own household and to make some return to their parents, for this is pleasing 
in the sight of God. But if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. 1 Timothy 5.16, If any believing woman has relatives who are widows, let her care for them. Let the church not be burdened so that it may care for those who are truly widows. This is very strong, clear instruction the Word of God gives us. That it is our responsibility, if it is possible, to take care of our families. That it is not right according to the will of God to assume that the church will take up your slack or to do things for your family that you are unwilling to do for whatever your reason may be. The Bible doesn't give us a loophole here. That it is how we show godliness. We do it within the context of our family. That's what the Bible is saying here. And so if we do, according to Paul's words, we uh, deny the faith. We're worse than an unbeliever. And that's hard to ignore. James put it this way. That kind of care for people is pure religion. And the word of God is letting us know we need to extend that to our family, not just strangers, not just unbelievers. Number three, the Bible tells us to teach our families. Deuteronomy 6, we began with that. We are instructed to teach, to discuss, to even physically carry the word of God and to put it on display in our home. Proverbs 22, verse 6 says, Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. And this is not limited to just teaching the word of God. This can also be applied to leading someone to God's will for their life. Our responsibility to our children and to the young people in our families is not just to teach them the word of God, but to help them find what is God's will for my life. Lead them in the way that they should go as an individual. That doesn't mean that we try to control their decisions, but I believe that anyone in a family can affirm and agree in prayer concerning direction and clarity for another family member. I've been a part of some family group texts in the past where we've, you know, been aware of a need specifically with some of the young people in our family, and we go to war over that. We agree this is what needs to happen, and we pray and fast to the end, and and we have seen even recently God answer those prayers in very specific ways. As the Bible says, if two or three agree, what if it was a family? Don't you think that that would... Be even weightier in the eyes of God, as important as families are to him. Number four, we are to disciple our families. Matthew 28, 19, and 20, you've heard it a lot, but in the context of family, go therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Discipleship begins in our homes. That is the will of God. That is what Deuteronomy 6 makes very clear to us. It's not just limited to parents and children, but I believe a family can partner in this responsibility. The New Testament talks repeatedly about 
the older teaching the younger. And that principle can apply even within our families. You know, our motto here at TCC is making disciples. But I pray that we have not given you the impression that discipleship only happens at 11970 Ken Road. Because if you've gotten that impression, I apologize. This is not our intent. We as families must disciple our children first. It's not Kidsland's responsibility to make sure that my children understand who God is. And it's not Oksano's responsibility to make sure that my kids know what they have to do to be saved. That's my responsibility. And I give God an account for that. And so I pray that when your children have questions about our faith, about what we teach and what we practice. I pray to God that you have an answer for them. Besides, Calvary Church told us so. I've heard parents throw pastors under the bus, you know, to make him the bad guy. Well, that's what he teaches, so that's what we got to do. That is a really lame answer. It's a cop-out. And it hurts me deeply when people come to me and ask me because they don't know. I'm glad that they ask. I want to help them. That's part of our job. But why don't you know? Your kids deserve an answer from you. You cannot assume that they're fully engaged in the greenhouse every Wednesday night. And you know your kids. They're who they are in kids' land. Audrey May is twirling right now. No matter what is going on, that child hears music in her head. She is Julie Andrews at the beginning of The Sound of Music, you guys. It is beautiful. The hills are alive. And I love her for it. But because I know Audrey and I understand my responsibility, when she asks me a question... I'm going to take a minute to answer it. And I'm so thankful that I had great examples in my parents that I do not teach my children rules. I teach them principles. And anybody in a family can do that. As long as you're not contradicting what their parents are teaching them, because they ultimately answer to God for that. You can support what the Word of God says, and you can answer those questions in principle. And we don't just say you know, scripture and verse, because some people are intimidated by that. I don't have the scripture and verse. You don't have to break down the Greek to your kids. I know you feel that responsibility. I feel it all the time. But you don't have to consult a commentary to give them a good answer. And you know what? Sometimes it's okay to say, you know what? I am not sure. But I will find out, and I'll let you know. Because kids come up with some crazy stuff. I don't know if kids ever ask you a question about God. I'm like, I don't really know how to answer that because I've never thought of that before. But we can teach them principles. And we can't just assume that they're going to get it by looking at us and observing us. What an opportunity we have as families to help each other and support each other in this way. And I certainly, I appreciate loyalty I appreciate obedience. God honors those things. 
But I just want to challenge you tonight that when the Bible talks being ready to give an answer, we shouldn't just limit that to the context of unbelievers. We should be ready to answer questions our family has as leaders, as as caregivers, as people that have that opportunity to influence children and young people in our families. We need to search the scriptures for answers. We need to study to show ourselves approved to God. And so I'm finished. I want you to stand. None of these verses tonight that we read come with clauses or exceptions. It's easy to just exempt yourself from biblical ideals. Life is not ideal. Family units are not ideal. And yet the word of God says, this is the standard. This is the line. And here is your responsibility. Love them. Teach them. Disciple them. Do all of these things. Care for them the best you can. And if you can't figure it out, I, I, I know that this lesson is no, and by no means exhaustive of the things we need to understand about one another and the complexity of different kinds of relationships in our family. There's no way to cover that. But the Word of God does. And that's what I want to encourage you with, is to, number one, take some time this week to just reflect on your own family experience and pray and ask God if there's maybe a kid in your house that you're particularly frustrated with. God, is there something in my experience that is keeping me from having grace for my kid? Or is there this pattern of behavior I cannot get over? God, if there is something about influences in my life that I've never thought of before that is affecting my ability to change my behavior, would you show me? Would you tell me? How could God not answer a prayer like that? And so I want to close by saying that all families, I believe, have two things in common. We all need help. We all need help. At some point, you're going to need help outside of yourself, outside of your experience and your expertise with the people that live in your house. You're going to need some help, and that's okay. And every family needs boundaries. We need boundaries to keep us saved and to keep us safe. You've heard that before. We need boundaries in the context of our relationships, too. And as leaders in our homes, that that falls on us. We've got to figure out what those are and what that looks like. Back to the help, I, I just want to acknowledge publicly that sometimes we need professional help. And there is no shame in that. I think as Pentecostals, we have uh, picked up on this unspoken rule, like we talked about, that because you're full of the Holy Ghost, you don't need counseling. And that is not true. Everything is spiritual, but not everything has a spiritual solution only. And our minds can be ill. Our hearts can be infected with wrong thinking and behaviors. And we need a spirit-filled counselor 
a spirit-filled counselor to help us. And I prayed about this, and I want to acknowledge to you, because we advise people sometimes, we realize, you know what, this is beyond a pastoral counseling uh, viewpoint. We, we cannot help you, and we refer people to counseling. And I myself have talked to a professional. A spirit-filled woman of God helped me through some of the darkest times in my life. To not just say, clinically, this is what's going on. But to also say, thus saith the Lord. This is what the Word of God says. And they don't have to be in conflict with each other. And I say it humbly, and you can judge me if you want to. But I just feel like I should say it to maybe give someone else permission to do it. That it saved my life. I got the help I needed, and my motivation was for my family. Because I wanted to be healthy, and I wanted to be whole for them. And so if that's what you need to do, we will help you find the right person, I promise you. So I, I just want us to pray, and would you just have an openness to, I feel the presence of the Lord, not because of what I've said, but because of the Word of God and what it does in our lives. Would you just talk to the Lord openly now about whatever it is that you feel conviction about? Maybe you feel direction in some way for your family. God, we come before you very humbly because we know that not all of us, none of us have this figured out We, more than anyone else, know the reality of the cards that we have been dealt in our families. You understand our weakness, not just because of our personality, but because of our experience, because of the roles that we played, the rules that we were led under, the relationships that we saw modeled have made it very difficult, God, sometimes to translate and to apply what your word says is your desire for our families. And so, God, I pray that you would just talk to us in our times of devotion, that as we reflect and yield to your presence, if there is something that you know that we do not know about ourselves and it's impacting our family negatively, would you please help us and show us? We want to know and we rely on you to help us to change. Help us to be intentional. Let the Calvary Church be full of strong, healthy, spirit-filled families so that as you add people to us, we can help them. We can have answers. We can provide an example of what it looks like to be a family and live for God in the church and be a light in this world. In Jesus' name, cover the rest of our week. Bring us back to your house. In Jesus' name I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. This podcast was brought to you by the Calvary Church in Cincinnati, Ohio. For more information about the Calvary Church, please visit our website at www.thecalvarychurch.com. Consider joining us for a service where you will find friendly people, high-energy music, and life-transforming preaching and teaching from a biblical worldview. You can find our podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or on our website at www.thecalvarychurch.com. Until next time, thanks for listening.